Well, welcome everybody to this edition of Bell's Brief uh, Chats. Uh, Bell's, which stands for British Educated Life Scientists, is an initiative that is strengthening global connections between British educated life scientists and the health and life sciences arena in the UK. And of course, we also welcome engagement with a broader international audience. I'm uh, delighted that this edition features uh, Dr. Fiona Marshall, who is currently Senior Vice President and Head of Discovery, Preclinical and Translation for Merck, based in New Jersey, which is where she is now, although she does spend quite a lot of time back in the UK as well. Welcome, Fiona. Hello, Nigel. Very nice to uh, speak to you today. Okay. Let's um, just go right back to your childhood and the start of all this journey that you had. Um, so you, what led you to study biochemistry at Bath and then go on to Oxford? Yeah, so, uh, you know, oh, sorry, I, loved, Cambridge. I, I, loved, <laughs> I loved sciences <laughs> at uh, school. Uh, and, and, and I particularly like the sort of more molecular part of the sciences. So although I was good at sciences and, the, you know, the teachers and your parents think you should automatically go into medicine, I nearly did, but I, I, at my heart, I knew I didn't really want to treat patients that I was much more interested in understanding the fundamentals of disease and how you might uh, develop new drugs. So that's what led me to do biochemistry. Uh, and Bath has a, a leading biochemistry department. And I particularly chose Bath because it was a, a sandwich course. So you could have actually two uh, six month placements uh, out in industry, um, which, I, which is what I did. Yeah. And then it was under Cambridge and, yeah, so then, uh, and I mean, neuroscience. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, it, during my biochemistry uh, undergraduate courses, I, I was more and more fascinated by uh, how neurons signal, how the brain works. And uh, I actually had a very inspiring um, supervisor there, George Lunt. Uh, he uh, supervised my final year undergraduate project, which was in the neuroscience area. And that then uh, led me to decide to do a PhD in neuroscience and well, I picked Cambridge because it's Cambridge, so uh, and it, it was, you know, great, great to spend, you know, three years of my life in, in Cambridge. But I actually did my PhD as a case award uh, with Park, what was then Park Davis. Um, so again, I, I sort of chose a PhD that had that application built into it right from the start. So I was based actually in the Park Davis laboratories in Cambridge, and then I also had an academic supervisor in the pharmacology department. And any thought given to staying in academia or did you just quickly realise you wanted to go the industry? Right? No, I mean, I li almost literally I was committed from the beginning to go into applied research. And, uh, you know, I thought about uh, doing a postdoc. Several other people in my lab did do that. Um, but I had the opportunity. Actually, I met some people from Glaxo at a conference when I was in my final year of my PhD. And they said, oh, you know, why don't you come and have a look at the laboratories they those were in Ware uh, in Hertfordshire and uh, so you know that was an actually an easy transition then from my PhD to go and work in neuropharmacology at Glaxo with you know some really inspiring people who were there at the time uh, Pat Humphreys and Mike Tyers I was sort of working with people that you know really knew about how to discover drugs and learned a lot uh, about drug discovery in, in those early days. So I mean Glaxo clearly obviously uh, morphed into GlaxoSmithKline and uh, you eventually found your way into Stevenage to focus on GPCRs um, before then heading up uh, molecular pharmacology. 
were these opportunities that uh, presented themselves to you or did you actively seek them out? Um, no, they sort of presented themselves to me in part. Um, so I, the first merger actually was Glaxo to then Glaxo Welcome. And then that, you know, it resulted in quite a big reorganization. And so at that time, it was the time of the sort of sequencing of the human genome and a lot of genomics technologies coming through. So I was very interested in pivoting from the more traditional tissue-based pharmacology into the more molecular areas. So after the Glaxo Welcome merger, then I had the chance to, to change and move into the molecular pharmacology area. And then that group we decided would focus on GPCRs. And then uh, was that shift over in 2000 to biotech, yeah, to uh, so, millennium? Know, it, it, it was all fast moving. There was a lot of a lot of mergers. So then when the GSK merger came along, uh, we built molecular pharmacology up into a very successful group. We cloned a lot of receptors and did some exciting science. And that was good because that got my name known more externally, um, you know, giving external talks and things. But then in the GSK merger, I wasn't you know, very happy with the options there. They, they weren't easy for me to manage. Uh, they were multinational jobs where I'd have had to do a lot of traveling and I had young children at the time. So it, it didn't really work for me personally. Uh, and so that's when I decided I'd go and move to biotech and try something a bit different. And so by chance, actually, I was contacted. It was one of those times where you're thinking of moving, but then the recruitment people magically turn up on your door with an interesting opportunity. And um, that was to go and join Millennium to help set up their UK research site. Uh, they'd already uh, purchased Cambridge Drug Discovery, which is a chemistry um, team. And then the idea is that I would go in and build the biology uh, alongside the chemistry with Dave Topolsky and, and Alan Marchington. So, uh, move, move to Cambridge uh, and, uh, you know, help set that group up. That wasn't very long lived, uh, as you might know. Uh, we, it was a case where Millennium were very successfully developing um, their drug, Belcade. And so they ended up deciding to sort of consolidate investment there and, you know, decided to pull out of that UK site. But I learned a lot about the biotech sector, got to know a lot of really good people who are at Millennium who, you know, now are scattered throughout many Boston biotech companies. So, you know, from a networking point of view, it was fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's where I first met Alan when he was, had just been taken over and uh, had obviously gone into Millennium and was based in Boston and he's now on our advisory council oh, and has wow. been involved right from the outset in, in what we're doing. Um, so in 2002, you stepped out of the industry for a while with the young children and decided, right, I need to um, sort, sort things out, look after them for a little bit. And you, you did a number of things. You kept going. You, you did some consulting with some clients. You did some lecturing at Cambridge. Um, did this alter your perspective or oh, yeah, just make totally. you hungry? <laughs> Actually, a really good time of my career in the, you know, I, I, with Millennium, I was flying backwards and forwards between Boston and, and the UK literally every month. And that wasn't really very conducive to having a no. happy family life. So I just thought, no, I can't carry on doing this. So I sort of resigned without knowing what to do next. Um, and uh, I thought I'd try sort of just being a, a mother at home, but that didn't last very long. I sort of managed like about four weeks when I started reading papers and thinking, no, I've got to get back to do something. 
So went to Cambridge Pharmacology Department and said, well, you know, can I just come here and you don't need to pay me, but I'd like to just, you know, do some lecturing and that sort of thing. So they gave me a visiting lectureship. Uh, I helped to set up the Bioscience Enterprise course, um, which mm -hmm. has gone on and been a really good master's course. And then, you know, just gradually word gets around the network that, you know, maybe Fiona could help out doing some consultancy work for this company, this company. And then, you know, I somehow got sort of connected through to a lot of venture capital companies, particularly Abingworth uh, and MVM. So they sort of took me onto their scientific advisory boards and very quickly I built up a whole sort of portfolio career, the sort of thing people normally do when they're retired, not when they're in their sort of, you know, late 30s. But for me, it worked brilliantly uh, as a way of continuing to be involved with my family, but also doing really interesting work. And I, I got to work with a lot of really interesting new startup companies, really learned the biotech much more about the biotech sector, like what are the important things in setting up a company? Uh, how do you get the right balance of the team? What technologies work and what don't? Uh, and, and that understanding of the, the venture capital area. So, it, it, and I ended up doing it much longer than I expected, uh, sort of five years. After five years, of course, the children had got older and um, I thought, well, it, you know, it's time for me to go back and get a proper job now. And uh, again, one of those things where, fate comes along at the right time. And I was asked by MVM, Martin Murphy, to go to the LMB in Cambridge uh, and look at uh, some work that Richard Henderson was doing um, with Chris Tate around solving structures, X-ray structures of GPCRs. Uh, and I, at first I thought, oh, this is, you know, it's a holy grail that has never been achieved. So it doesn't sound like a very good basis for starting a company. But I went along and I, you know, I was so excited by what they were doing. I literally said, okay, I'll, I'll help start this company up because I, you know, I think I can bring my expertise from the GPCR days. So, and I agreed then with um, working with MRCT because it was a, an MRC laboratory. So Roberto Solari was the head of MRCT at that time. Uh, and Malcolm Weir was also working with MRCT. So it was agreed that Malcolm would become the CEO and I would take on the role of CSO. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, the, the academic founders, Richard Henderson and Chris Tate, stayed, they didn't want to come into the company. They stayed at the LMB. And then MVM gave us the seed funding. And yeah, then we set the company up and it you know developed from there. And then SOSI came along and um, to, to acquire you, did, uh... Did things change dramatically with the Japanese parent uh, or, or was what became so sorry Hectares still the same animal? Yeah, it, it, it changed gradually over time. I mean, the reason that we actually liked them, we had other offers, um, you know, from some of the bigger players um, who would have most likely just taken the whole technology and that would have been the end of Hectares. Uh, but what we liked about Sosei is that they wanted to continue to invest in the company, to develop a, a site in the UK, to continue to grow the technology. So that was very exciting for the management team. And that is indeed what they did. Um, I mean, they kept everybody on. They you know, funded a beautiful new building, which is now uh, Sosei Heptaris in Cambridge, and continue to develop the, the technology. So I, I was quite happy to stay on for a few years but you know over time yes the cult it does it does change from being that excitement of the early startup um, and they were more into the prosecuting the pipeline and doing partnerships rather than innovating on the technology so you know that I was getting 
you know, a feeling I'd been there for 10 years. So I, I was already, again, thinking that it would be a good time for me to move on when I got a phone call from Roger Palmer, who was the president of Merck Research Laboratories. Uh, and he called me up and said, you know, would I be interested in setting up a, a London research site on behalf of Merck? So obviously that was a, almost too good an offer to, to, to turn down. It's interesting that that sort of signifies a, a seed change that went on in the industry over the last few years where there was a lot of people exiting from pharma, but now this seems to have normalised almost where people go back and forth a, a lot more comfortably than they perhaps did in the early days. Yeah, no, I think that's right. There is movement backwards and forwards, which is, is very encouraging. I think, uh, you know, pharma, and, and I can say this for myself now, we are actively trying to attract people from biotech companies into pharma to bring you know, some of that sense of urgency, that nimbleness uh, and the creativeness that you can get in, in often in biotech. So we're trying to sort of tap, tap back into that magic um, within the pharma companies. And the idea of setting up small research sites, which is what Roger had in mind uh, in London, in San Francisco and one in Cambridge, Massachusetts, is to have that more smaller biotech-like focus in particular areas. And, and do you think there's the pharma companies are doing the same? Do you think there's that that's involved um, pharma having to sort of go through almost through the teething problems of how does it adapt to that? Because that's a big change for big organisations which have been used to doing things in bureaucratic ways to inject that sort of innovation into it uh, can cause some ruffled feathers and some awkwardness. So, how have they done that? Uh, that's right. And again, that's the I think that's the reason of how it's difficult to do that in a large established research, big research site. So that was the yeah. idea of having separate um, sort of hubs that could could go in that direction and then really demonstrate to the, the rest of the company that these are new ways of working. And hopefully then you can try them out in the in the hubs and then roll them out into the, the bigger sites. And that's what we found has worked. Um, in, in, in the company. Um, so some of the things that London sort of innovated, um, you know, use of more uh, computational methods, structure-based design, uh, and now increasingly, you know, machine learning type approaches, that those are not things that were fully embraced across the whole company. But I think you can lead by example and show that they're working. And, and that must have been quite an exciting time to, to be starting to work at, at King's Cross, and the whole area of King's Cross was developing, which, you know, almost has a mini feel of a nascent sort of Kendall Square type atmosphere. Um, it must have been exciting to do that. And then you were focusing on ageing at uh, that time as well. Yeah, so you're right. I mean, I think the, the whole area around um, King's Cross, Pancras Square, um, with the Crick really being, I think, the, one of the first sort of organizations that saw that possibility because you've got you know all those incredible hospitals nearby and the universities yeah, in easy location and then the connectivity through um, Eurostar um, through to the rest of Europe it, it really is in a fantastic location to recruit talent and to collaborate so uh, yes and it continues to grow uh, I mean it's now becoming really a, a center for data technology with Google there as well uh, new companies starting up and yeah it's it's a fantastic 
you know, a vibrant location. Uh, I, I love going back to the UK now and visiting there. So I think that's going to continue to flourish and, and to develop. And we've got our new building, which, uh, you know, we're going to be, you know, setting up in King's Cross, which again, hopefully will add to that, um, you know, local environment. And then, you know, aging, I, I was fortunate in that, uh, again, I was given the sort of flexibility to choose the area of focus for that UK site. And, you know, thinking a lot about what would make sense uh, and where the unmet need was in disease, then, you know, that, that's what led me to choose aging as an area of focus. And it goes across different types. You know, we know that age is an incredibly important risk factor for so many diseases and you know we've seen that with covid for example more recently so yeah that that was the reason for choosing aging but then it was back to the plains and splitting time between new jersey and and boston and um so you know i was saying well first i think it was west point in pennsylvania before new jersey wasn't it and then uh, moving more full-time to your current role as a senior vice president head of discovery preclinical and translational medicine at uh, railway in new jersey um yeah it's the case of being either in the right place or the wrong place at the time um so it, i i you know started setting up the london site i was we took some labs at the crick which has been fantastic i was really enjoying that but uh then the person who was he global head of neuroscience decided to retire. So I was then asked if I would take that role and I, I, but still run the London site, which I tried to do from London to start with. But then, the, you know, the days were getting longer and longer and I was working on UK time in the morning and then US time in the evening. So that and then I was going backwards and forth again, like I used to. Uh, so not very desirable um, from a sort of work-life balance point of view. So it, it really did then make more sense for me to go and do that job from the US and be closer to where most of the, you know, the company's uh, events were happening. And it, it worked out quite well from my sort of family situation in that the children by this time have left home and are all, all independent and uh, no grandchildren have arrived yet. So I thought, well, this Good, good time to go and try and live in the in the United States for a while and my husband who's retired was very happy to do that so so yeah we moved to Pennsylvania uh, unfortunately this was bad timing because we were there for about two or three months before the pandemic started and um, so ended up sort of working from home for and home now being Pennsylvania just outside Philadelphia but that then you know I took on the role of leading neuroscience across several different sites uh, within Merck uh, the main site being in West Point, Pennsylvania, but we had another site in Boston as well. So yeah, I did that for about 18 months. And then there was another uh, further change of, of senior management, which there often is in, in pharma, as you know. So Roger Palmer, who had originally recruited me, uh, retired. And my boss, who was head of research, Dean Lee, he got Roger's job. And so then I was asked if I would like to step up again to take um the head of uh, you know head of all research and that has then meant me moving to to new jersey which is where i am now yeah and then uh, recently you became a member of the uh, sab for um oxford company omas um, therapeutics under the helm of ros deegan um who spent a chunk of her time in boston with bicycle therapeutics do you see yourself 
increasingly taking on more sort of advisory and board roles, particularly in the UK? Yes, I, I, def, definitely. My long term plan is to come back to the UK and, um, you know, go, go back to doing a port, more of a portfolio career eventually. But I, certainly for now, I, I'm trying to, um, you know, where I can keep connected to the UK and the UK biotech sector and, uh, you know, exciting emerging companies like OMAS. Um, so I was, you know, very excited that they invited me to join their scientific advisory board. And it's something, yes, I would like to do more of, of course, at the moment, you know, my, my full-time job takes up all of my time. So I have to sort of, you know, make the justification that, you know, it, I can manage this. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't have much bandwidth at the moment, but it is something I want to do more in the future for certain. And, and just uh, going back to you, know, you mentioned earlier about, or we talked about the new sites in, in King's Cross, but I mean, that's actually replicated in other cities across the UK. And I think for, for Bell's, members of the Bell's community who haven't been back to the UK uh, for quite a while, I think it would be quite stunning to see some of the, 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 um, the infrastructure that is now at places like Liverpool, at Manchester, and across the UK, and uh, makes it quite an exciting, dynamic environment. Is that something that oh, you feel exactly the same way? I completely agree with you, Nigel. I mean, so many um, cities in the UK now have got their own burgeoning biotech sector. I think Manchester now, you know, with the Alderley Park site. Um, I went to the, the Helix in... Um, in Newcastle, uh, I was involved in opening that, the Rosalind Franklin Institute in Oxford. Um, I mean, there, there's just activities all over the place and uh, I've got a lot in Scotland as well. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a blossoming sector and uh, you know, it's really good to see how well the life sciences are, are doing. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, actually I'm very supportive of the some of the initiatives the UK, the government has had in investing in the life sciences sector as well. Yeah, I mean, sort of, I mean, having spent 25 years myself in the States, um, I guess I pick up the same enthusiasm in your voice in terms of what the UK has to offer. And maybe um, as I've gone on and on about, um, it's something that we don't sell enough, perhaps. Um, perhaps we're a little too shy about shouting about it but there really is eye-opening stuff going on oh i totally agree with you i mean I, I say this i actually said this to omas when they were doing their fundraising and i think they did to pay attention because i told them they weren't being ambitious enough you know uk companies i think tend to undervalue themselves and so when they go out to speak to investors or raise money they're very conservative in what they're sort of promising and then i see the contrast with you know how small you know, companies in, in Boston go out and present themselves to investors. So yeah. it's great to see that OBAS actually did such a fantastic fundraise. But I think overall in the UK, you're absolutely right. We're not good at you know, presenting the upside and the potential that we have. And uh, do you have a view on what seems from my vantage point to be an increasingly collaborative regulatory environment in the UK with programs such as the ILAP scheme, uh, as, do, do you think uh, they really offer some, some real opportunities for overseas companies? Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're working, you know, in the UK, and I think this, this whole area of regulatory collaboration is really welcome. Um, and, um, 
I think it's essential for the UK as a company if we want to be you know, a global leader in life sciences, which we, is sort of part of the life sciences vision. And, you know, the ILAP idea really is to accelerate, you know, and improve patient access to innovation. And, and you know, of course, we're very excited about that. And in fact, um, MSD, as Merck is called in the UK, we were award, awarded one of the first innovation passports within the ILAP um, for one of our oncology projects. You know, it's still in its infancy. Um, and I think, you know, there's still, we still have to see how it, how it, you know, performs and, but, in the UK is still a small market in its own right, um, you know, so it has to still fit into the global uh, perspective. And, you know, we have to see how, you know, I think ILAC can play a, re a really important role in accelerating innovations. And, it, you know, we just still need to get that partnership um, across, you know, all of the stakeholders, the MHRA, NICE, and of course, the NHS, um, to make sure it's all, it's all aligned. And do you think that um, that whole environment that's getting created, um, it seems to have been a sea change from farmers exiting the UK a while back to farmers coming back and coming back and being uh, very involved. I mean, Merck is obviously one example. Novartis have obviously starting to do a lot. Yeah, And do you see that? Uh, so you you agree that, oh that yeah no happens. totally i mean i think i still think that uk is you know one of the front runners when it comes to science uh, and yeah. research and we saw that during the pandemic i mean we really were leading in terms of you know sequencing understanding the the virus and how it evolved uh, the the we have world leading academic institutes um, fantastic clinical pharmacology and ability to run clinical trials so, you know, I think there are challenges, though, again, in the in the clinical trials environment, it's actually, you know, we could do a lot more to make it easier to run trials in the UK, which I think would be helpful um, for pharma. We still need to do better with regard to, you know, data infrastructure um, and, you know, especially with the NH partnering with the NHS uh, is not all, is not always so easy. So and but this is something, you know, that, that the NHS are working on. And then, you know, the commercial environment in the UK uh, can be a bit challenging as well for a, for a US or global company when we're making decisions on, you know, making global decisions. Um, so I think, again, the UK needs to be thinking strategically about where it sits in, in this in the pharmaceutical market. And you're a relative newcomer to Bell's, um, but just interested in your perspective in terms of you know, the role that the Bell's community can play in assisting the UK life science ecosystem and what you'd like to see going forward. Well, I think, I think you're, you've touched on it already, Nigel. It is about, it's two ways. I think, you know, informing people outside the UK of what a great environment the UK is, what the opportunity is in the UK, but also encouraging UK companies to think globally, to reach out, um, we had strong connections to Europe, of course, that we don't want to lose. But I actually think, you know, connections through to the United States in terms of either funding, partnerships, um, recruiting people. Uh, these are all things I think the Bells community can can help to facilitate in that two way you know, transfer of talent and, and uh, expertise. Um, seeking people on board positions, for example. Uh, it's really beneficial, I think, for UK companies to have 
uh, US uh, experienced US uh, entrepreneurs or pharma people on their boards if they can to get that connectivity. Um, you know, success is about making connections, and, and and I think that's something the Bell's community can really help with. Well, on that positive note, thank you very much, Fiona. Um, it's been a delight, and I hope you've enjoyed it. And um, thank you very, very much nice for participating. Very nice to Nigel, and hopefully we can meet in person sometime soon. I hope so. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye-bye.